I know before I begin the message that I'm not going to finish it today, but that's all right. There is a word from the Lord. For the past several weeks, we have been discussing in our church, for those of you that this may be your first Sunday here in a long time, or maybe you're just a guest here. My name is Doug DeMent, and I have the wonderful privilege of serving as the lead pastor of Grace Assembly. And we have been exploring for the last couple of months, what does life look like when we are in partnership with the Holy Spirit? How many of you know that you were never intended to live your faith life by yourself? So many people try to carry the burdens on their own and try to do this on our own, try to, try to make God happy with the way that we live. And boy, if I just had more willpower. And I want you to know that that is not the plan of God for your walk in faith at all. It is, it is lived in partnership with the Holy Spirit. In fact, we've been, the, the title of the message is Partnership with the Spirit in Prayer, but we've been talking about what does it mean to be led by the Spirit on a daily basis, where daily we get up and say, Lord, you already know what this day holds for me. I do not know, but I will be obedient in it because I want you to lead me in a way that you'll be glorified in my life, and the things that I say and do will bring you honor. So how many of you believe that prayer is important? About 70% of you. 30% of you, I'm glad you're here today. How many of you, knowing that prayer is important, have ever struggled to pray? About 90% of you. Now we know why the other 30% were holding off, because it was a struggle issue. How many of you have ever felt guilty because you don't pray enough? My hand's up first. How many of you, having planned to pray, discovered that the enemy is great at making you busy when you want that time. How many of you have chosen, Lord, before I go to sleep at night, I'd like to just have some time with you and then discover that you get tired? Maybe this is just me, but how many of you have ever struggled to keep in focus for more than five minutes while you're praying? Man, I'm in the right church today. I, I can tell we're gonna be okay. How many of you have ever felt a stirring that you were to pray, but you had no idea what to pray for? Have any of you ever been awakened in the middle of the night, and you don't know why, and your first instruction or your first thought is, why am I awake? I need the rest without knowing that the Spirit of the Lord was stirring something in you, and so you lay there and you can't go back to sleep, and so as a last resort, you say these words, okay, God. If I'm awake, is there anything that you need from me? Hoping that he says no so that he can put you back to sleep. And then realizing that God had a plan for awakening you because there were some intercessory aspects of prayer that he wanted to involve you in. And then we've gone through a season where there have been times where we've even been instructed, and I, I know that I have instructed this in the past, to be very specific with what you want from God and be very specific in your prayer. And then after saying that, have any of you ever had an opportunity where you know you need to pray for something, but you don't even know what to pray for? You can't be specific because there are details of what you want that you don't even know. And I believe that because of all of these things, there is a way and a struggle that oftentimes we feel defeated in prayer before we ever begin. And the answer to our prayer problem is this. It is not a strategy. Listen closely. It's not another book on prayer, although there's some great ones. The answer to our prayer problem is a person. 
It is the person of the Holy Spirit that is the answer to our prayer problem. He told us that he would be our guide. In other words, because he stirs us to pray, he knows where he wants to lead us and what he wants us to do in that prayer. And the Holy Spirit not only has the solutions to our prayer struggles, he literally is the spirit of prayer. He is the prayer partner who helps make a connection with God possible and powerful. Now, I'd like to share with you three verses this morning that will be the launching point uh, for the rest of the message this morning. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to them or we'll have them up on top. Jude verse 20 says this, but you, dear friends, build yourself up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 6.18 states, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the saints. And then in Romans, the eighth chapter, verses 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Isn't that nice to know? Because I don't know about you, but I could list my weaknesses way better than I can list my strengths. And the Spirit helps us with those. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. There are three things that I was going to highlight this morning, and honestly, I'm only going to highlight one of them today, and that is this. The Holy Spirit stirs us to pray, stirs us to pray. And if I never get back to this message again, it's also the Holy Spirit strengthens us to pray. And then the Holy Spirit stands for us in prayer. So, Lord, we have come today and we are hungry for your word because we recognize there's nothing in the world that satisfies us like being able to partake of the fresh bread of your word. Lord, having seen the pole of hands around here this morning, I know that there is something that you want to do in our lives, something that you want to teach us. So, Father, we open up our hearts to the moving of the Spirit, and I pray that as your messenger this morning, I will have the mind of Christ in the direction that we take in applying your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. The Holy Spirit stirs us to pray. One of the misconceptions that most of us have as it relates to prayer, we who are Christians, is that somehow prayer is our responsibility to initiate and it's our responsibility to do all the work in. We believe that from the moment that we receive Christ that he says, okay, here's prayer. It's a great tool, but I'm not going to do anything with it. It's all up to you. And as a result of that, that's why we begin to feel stress and feel guilt as it relates to our prayer life because we look at it, maybe not thinking about it this way, but here's the way it seems to settle in our heart. Prayer to us seems as if it is like being an annoying child that has to pester their parents until the power and the will of the parents is worn down and they finally give in and give the kid candy. And so we have approached prayer like, okay, God, I know it's my responsibility and I'm going to pester you and I'm going to hound you and I'm going to come after you until I wear your will down and you give me what I want in prayer. And we easily fall into the trap that it is our way of somehow gaining and getting the attention of God. And hopefully, if we say it right and we do it right, we can coerce him into giving us something that we want. 
But I want to read a verse to you that you know well, but I want to apply it in a new way today that might change your perspective on this. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it says this. Here I am. This is God speaking. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Now, I recognize that this is a verse that we oftentimes apply in the aspect of evangelism when we're leading someone to the Lord, saying to them that the the prompting of the Spirit that draws us to Christ is God standing there just knocking on the door waiting for you to answer it. Let me apply this in the sense as it relates to us in prayer. We often think that since prayer is our responsibility that it's something that bothers God. But what I believe is that the Lord is saying to us, listen, I want to join you in prayer more than you want to pray. I'm interested in the fellowship in prayer more than you are interested in being with me. I am standing there waiting for the invitation to step into your life, to step into these situations, and I'm knocking on the door hoping that you will fellowship with me in prayer. Robert Munger in his booklet, My Heart, Christ's Home, wrote this. He said, I made a discovery. I wrote about a man by the name of Robert who, after receiving Christ, determined that in his new walk with God, he was going to set aside an hour every morning to meet with Jesus daily. He chose a chair in his living room and said, that chair, Lord, is where you and I will meet every day. One day while he was rushing out of the house, he saw Jesus sitting in his living room, just waiting Robert felt convicted that he had neglected his guest and he apologized for missing their time together. And Jesus spoke to him and said, the trouble is that you have been thinking of the quiet time and your prayer and your Bible study as a means for your own spiritual growth. Therefore, it became a duty. And while it's true that this is how you grow spiritually, you forgot that that time means something to me as well. Remember, I love you, and at great cost, I have redeemed you. I value your fellowship. Just to have time with you warms my heart. Don't neglect this hour. If only for my sake, said Jesus, whether or not you want to be with me, remember, I always want to be with you. And in the reminder that when we approach prayer, it's not always just for us. Sometimes it's just Jesus saying, you have forgotten how much I love you and how much I want to be with you. And so in that time of prayer, there's a connectedness with God that settles in your spirit just how God feels about you. And so when we approach prayer being led by the Spirit, there's a connectedness. He stirs us to a fellowshipping prayer. Sometimes, however, the Holy Spirit stirs us in other ways. Sometimes he stirs us to fighting prayer. You know, the greatest battles that you will face in your life are not physical, they are not financial, and they are not relational. The greatest battles that you face today in your life are spiritual. Ephesians 6.12 outlines this thought for us when it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now, here's where we struggle because there are moments and times when we think of the difficulties that we face in life, we put a face to it. Some of you instantly have faces that are popping up that you know seem to be 
thorns in your flesh are causing all these issues, but I need you to understand that there may be a face that is being motivated, but there is a war in the heavens that's taking place, and there's some spiritual things happening there that we need to be able to step into and pray in the Spirit for. Our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Folks, when we are being led by the Spirit in life, He's going to lead us in times where we are going to fight in prayer in the Spirit to win wars that we cannot see with our physical eyes. In fact, here's what some of you need to know today. Prayer is an offensive weapon in your arsenal. It is in the armory of God an opportunity for you to step in and take authority and take control of things that may seem out of your control. This is why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 10.4, the weapons we, we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Now, if we just stopped right there, we, we, we think, you know, Lord, I'm in a physical body and I'm in a physical place, and so I, I know the things that I can wield well as armor and, and weapons here in this physical body, but you're talking about something different. And he says, on the contrary, the weapons that we fight with, those being led by the Spirit, they have a power, a divine power, and he uses this term, to demolish strongholds. How many of you have strongholds that need to be demolished today? All around this room. When we are being led by the Spirit, when we're in relationship with God, He allows us to enter into a fighting prayer that begins to take what we say with our lips and move that power into the heavenlies, and He moves the pieces, and He fights with warfare and weapons that we don't know anything about. We just get to see the results of it when we enter into that kind of a fighting prayer. Some of you have been tiptoeing around issues that have been strongholds in your life or strongholds in your family for a while. You may even have approached the Lord in prayer, but the idea of attacking those issues in prayer may be foreign to you. It also may be that God is stirring within you a fighting prayer to be an intercessor, which means that God will lay the needs of others upon your heart. And as a result of that, you enter into this spirit, you've been stirred, and you begin to fight on behalf of others. For Some of you are saved today because somebody else prayed for you in the spirit. Some of you are here today because God broke strongholds that you weren't praying for, but somebody else was praying for for you. So he wants you to stand in the gap for somebody or something, to battle in prayer for something that Satan is resisting, and we need to pray with a fierce determination to fight and wrestle as the Spirit of God stirs us to pray. Most of you have heard of Jim Cimbala. He's the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York City. He wrote of a very difficult time within his life. Difficult time that his family was going through, he said, it consumed all my thoughts, it consumed my rest, it was consuming my ministry, it was robbing me of peace. And here's what he writes, our oldest daughter Chrissy had been a model child growing up, but around the age of 16 she started to stray. I admit that I was slow to notice, I was too occupied with the church, starting new branches of the congregation, I was overseeing projects handling staff situations, and everything else that the ministry entails, and I was being blind to what was happening in my own daughter's life. Meanwhile, Chrissy not only drew away from us, 
but she drew away from God. In time, it got so bad that she even left our home. There were nights when Carol and I had no idea where our daughter was. And as the situation grew more serious, he said, I tried everything. I begged, I pleaded, I scolded, I argued, and nothing worked with her. The more I spoke, the more hardened she became to me. He said, we watched in sadness as a boyfriend who was everything that we did not want for her began to grow more and more influential in her life. He said, how I kept functioning during that time, I don't know. He said, many Sunday mornings I would get up, I would put on my suit, I would drive to church and I would walk into my office and fall on the floor and I would cry for 25 minutes. I would say, God, how am I going to get through these services today? I don't want to make myself the center of attention because these people have their own problems and they are coming here expecting me to be able to minister to them. They're coming here for help and encouragement. But what about me, God? I'm hanging on by a thread. Oh, God, please, please do something in my firstborn, Chrissy. How many of you know that when you're going through difficult times, Satan likes to pile on? Have you ever noticed that? He just likes to layer it. When he thinks he's got you, he puts something else on there. He said, while this was going on, we learned that Carol needed an operation. She needed a hysterectomy. And as she tried to adjust afterward, the devil took that opportunity to come after my wife. And he would say to her, Carol, you may have a big choir. You may be a big person in the Christian world. You may be known for your outreaches and known for your ministry. But I am going to have your children. I have your oldest one already, and I am coming after your two younger ones. And she was overcome with fear and distress. This mother who loves her children began to say, God, what is going on? And finally, in just total frustration, she approached her husband and said, Listen, we've got to get out of New York City. I'm serious. The atmosphere has already swallowed up our daughter. I can't keep raising children here. If you want to stay, you stay. You can, but I am getting out of here and I'm taking our children out and I am not kidding. He said, Carol, we can't just do that. We can't unilaterally take off without knowing what God wants us to do. He said, Carol wasn't being rebellious. It was just... She was in depression and she was going through a struggle and was in a spiritual warfare time. And after talking about it and praying about it, she decided not to pack up and run after all, but she was at the lowest point that she's ever been as a Christian. And she said, I don't know what to do, Lord, so she just went to the piano. And as she sat at the piano one day, God just put his hands on her and he touched her. And she wrote a song that's touched more people's lives than any other song she's ever written. The song, as many of you know, is He's Been Faithful. I encourage you this afternoon to go and look up on YouTube the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir singing He's Been Faithful. Let me read you these lyrics because for some of you today, it's going to be meaningful. In my own suffering, through every pain and every tear, there's a God who's been faithful to me. When my strength was all gone and my heart had no song, still in love, he's proved faithful to me. Every word he has promised is true. What I thought was impossible, I've seen my God do. He's been faithful, faithful to me. 
Looking back, his love and mercy I see. Though in my heart I have questioned and even failed to believe, he's been faithful, faithful to me. When my heart looked away, the many times I could not pray, still my God was faithful to me. The days I spent so selfishly reaching out for what pleased me, even then God was faithful to me. Every time I come back to him, he's waiting with open arms, and I see once again, he's been faithful, faithful to me. Looking back, his love and mercy I see, though in my heart I have questioned and even failed to believe, he's been faithful, faithful to me. Some of you know what it's like to be at your lowest point and feeling the stirring of the Spirit of the Lord saying it's time for you to join me and enter into a fighting prayer, a prayer that says I'm not going to give up and I'm not going to give in and I'm not going to let discouragement win me over. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to seek God because he's joining me in prayer. And we're going to attack things in the heavenlies. After she wrote that song, the rest of the story was that on a cold February night, on a Tuesday night, I don't know if any of you have ever had the chance, but I've been a part of those prayer meetings in Brooklyn Tabernacle on Tuesday night. Pastor Simla was standing there, and a young woman who he felt to be a spiritually sensitive individual came up and handed him a note, and it said, Pastor Simla, I feel impressed that we should stop this meeting and that we should all pray for your daughter. He said, I hesitated, not knowing if it was right to change the flow of a service to focus on my personal need. Yet something in that note rang true. So I picked up the microphone and I told the congregation what had just happened. I told them the truth of the matter is that I haven't talked much about it. But my daughter is in a very, very, very dark place. She's far from God right now. But I know that God can break through to her. And so I'm going to ask our assistant pastor to come and lead us in prayer for Chrissy. He said, in that sanctuary, and they're generally packed for their prayer meetings, everybody stood up and began to hold hands. And he said, the associate pastor stood up there and took the microphone and began to lead the people in prayer. And he said, all I had the strength to do was just to put my hand on his back. I, I couldn't say a word. He said, my, my tear ducts were dry from crying. But I prayed the best I knew how as he prayed for my daughter. He said, as he was praying, there arose a groaning in my spirit, a, a sense of desperate determination as if to say, Satan, you will not have this girl. You take your hands off of her. She is coming back home. I am attacking you in the spirit in partnership with the Holy Spirit in prayer. He said, I was overwhelmed the force of that throng calling out on God almost knocked me over, he said. And at the end of that service, I went back home. And Carol and I sat down at the kitchen table and we were having coffee together. And I told her, Carol, it's over. She says, what's over? He said, it's over with Chrissy. He said, you would have had to be at the prayer meeting tonight to know what I'm talking about. I tell you that if there is a God in heaven, this whole nightmare for our family is finally over. And I described to her what took place. 
32 hours later, on a Thursday morning, Pastor Simla was upstairs in his bathroom shaving. His wife burst through the bathroom door and said, you got to come downstairs right now. He goes, sweetheart, I'm shaving. She goes, right now, go downstairs. And then she blurted out, Chrissy is here. Chrissy is here and she wants to talk to you. Go downstairs right now. So he said, I ran downstairs to see my daughter. And he says, I'm wiping shaving foam off as I go. It's flying on the stairs as I'm running down the stairs. And as I rounded the corner in the kitchen, there's my daughter on her hands and knees crying. She's rocking on her hands and knees and she's sobbing. Cautiously, I called her name Chrissy. She reached over and grabbed his pant legs and she said this, Daddy! Daddy, I've sinned against God, and I've sinned against myself, and I've sinned against you and Mommy. Please forgive me. He goes, I couldn't see much because my tears were mingling with hers, but I lifted her from the floor, and I embraced her in my arms. And we cried together knowing that God had won a battle in the heavenlies because we had prayed. And suddenly she drew back, and with a start she said, Daddy, who was praying for me? He said it was like she had the voice of a cross-examining attorney. Dad, somebody was praying for me. Who was it? She says, because in the middle of the night on Tuesday, God woke me up and showed me that I was heading toward the abyss. And he said, there's no bottom to this, and it scared me to death, and I was so frightened I realized how hard I have been and how wrong I have been and how rebellious I have been. But at the same time, in the middle of the night, God wrapped his arms around me and held me tight. And he said, I will not let you slide any farther, my child. I'm bringing you back home. She said, Daddy, tell me the truth. Who was praying for me on Tuesday night? I looked into her bloodshot eyes, and once again, I recognized the little girl that I had raised. Chrissy's return to the Lord became evident immediately. By that fall, God had done a work in her heart, opened miraculous doors for her to go to Bible school, and today, she and her husband and their three children are in pastoral ministry in the Midwest. And here's what he says. Carol and I learned, as never before, that the persistent calling upon the Lord breaks every stronghold. What would have happened to Chrissy if a sensitive prayer had not felt responsible for the stirring of the Spirit of the Lord to say God wants to do something? What would have happened if her parents and her church had not labored for her in in prayer? I want you to know this morning, some of you are facing mighty strongholds. Some of you are facing them in your family. Some of you are facing them personally. Some of you, you come to church and you put a smile on your face, but you are weeping on the inside. Some of you have prayed for family members and loved ones to the point where you don't even know what to say anymore and you begin to give up hope. Let me tell you something. When we are led by the Spirit, at times He stirs us to fight in prayer. And we need to fight in prayer for our families. We need to fight in prayer for this community. We need to fight in prayer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. I'm going to ask the worship team if you'd please come and prepare to lead us in a song. But let me tell you something. When the Holy Spirit stirs us to pray, there is a fellowship that he begins to develop with us. It's not all on you, but your obedience to his stirring is on you. And as you enter in, he begins to do a work.
Because when we are led by the Spirit, we will be sensitive to what he desires for us to do. Would you stand with me as we prepare to sing? Let me tell you something. Some of you today just need to turn your face upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look in his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace.